Last week when we had uh, Brother Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Goodham here with us, uh, looking at gifts given to us by God, we looked at the gift of the church, we've looked at the gift of marriage, and today I'd like for us to look at the gift of salvation. And you say, well, that's kind of an odd um, sermon to preach, you know, as it is Christmas Eve. Well, let's start here. Maybe this won't be so odd. On the screen before you, you see gold in the middle, frankincense on the bottom, and myrrh on the top. During the time when Jesus was alive, it was customary for those who would visit nobility, especially after the nobles had had a child, to bring gold to them, a, a tribute to the child. And so those wise men who visited Jesus brought him gold, signifying the nobility that he was the king of kings, and that he is, rather, the king of kings, and that he is the Lord of lords. In the bottom there you see frankincense. During the Old Testament period of time, while those high priests were in office, if they had a child, if their wife had a child, then it was customary that the nation would bring to the high priest's son frankincense. Signifying there that Jesus is not only the high priest's son, but He is the high priest. He is the one and only high priest that you and I use in order to uh, stand before the throne of God. At the top you see myrrh. There's no class of people to which this spice belongs. That there's no unique story like uh, he's nobility or he is high priest. Myrrh was a very common spice. And it was commonly found in funerals. Myrrh was the spice that was anointed to the burial cloths. You recall in John chapter 11 when Jesus heals Lazarus. Uh, before he does that, his, his uh, Lazarus sister says, Behold, he stinketh. He'd been in the ground for four days. Those spices and those sweet-smelling savors had, had gone away. And now was left a rotting, decaying body. It's not a very pleasant gift to give a child. Unless this child's mission in life is to die. And so for you and I to study the gift of salvation, we have to begin with the gifts that were given to Jesus as a child. The gift of gold, nobility, the gift of frankincense as a means by which to be the high priest. And the gift of myrrh from the very point of his birth. The, the entire reason he's here is found in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, John chapter 20, 
or rather John chapter 19, 18 and 19 and 20, and also in Luke chapter 22 beginning. The whole point of him being here is to be the sacrifice. Without blood, the book of Hebrews will tell us, there is no remission of sin. Without the Christ and that purified blood of Jesus the Christ, there is no remission of sin for any of us. And so we find ourselves looking at salvation in the Bible. It comes in many forms. In, in, in Exodus chapter 14, salvation was found by the Israelites out of, out of uh, Egyptian captivity. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah was given salvation or given deliverance as she was given a son. 2 Samuel chapter 22, David is, is given salvation from the very hands of Saul, the one he will be the predecessor to, the one who really wants to kill him. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat finds salvation by God. He is in a battle he can't win. Somehow he does. The psalmist in Psalm 37 begs and pleads God for salvation. But none of these things really have anything to do with salvation through Jesus Christ as a sacrifice to redeem us from our sins. Where we need to start is the need. Has there ever been a need for salvation? We've got everything uh, just like we want it to be. Well, that might be the case. That we have everything just like we want it to be. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have everything the way God wants it to be. And up until Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 8... Or Genesis chapter 3 verse 18... Through 24. All up to that point, man lived in a sinlessly contained world in the which there was no sin and he had no sin. Can you imagine that? A sinless world created perfectly by God Himself, where which no man can sin nor has a need to sin, nor even has yet to be tempted with sin. Up until that point, everything was as God wanted it to be. When God lays down the punishment, Genesis chapter 3, verses 18 through 24, of that transgression, we find out that man will provide for his family by... The sweat of his brow, that's how we will eat. We find out that the woman will be uh, exacerbated in childbirth. That is, the pain will be exacerbated, will be made uh, great. And probably the greatest idea here in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 that, that we might miss out on when we think about all the things that happened with that first sin from mankind to God is the fact that mankind has been separated from God. Mankind has been pulled apart from God. Look over in Isaiah chapter 59, 
beginning in verse 1, Isaiah will write, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot say, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid your face that he will not hear. The fact of the matter is this, the need for salvation comes very distinctly by the fact that I have sentenced myself to hell. And friend, you have sentenced yourself. Isaiah will say, God's power is not so constrained anymore that He cannot help or He cannot hear or He cannot provide salvation. But the fact of the matter is, the things that we do separate us from God. That thing has been said and stated time and time and time again in the Bible. You find it in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As the Romans writer Paul will write, there he's speaking about those who understand right from wrong and who have the ability to choose those things. And in chapter 6 and verse 23, he will say, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus His Son. Is there a need? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, in verse number 16 and 17, you'll read this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should uh, be obedient to Him should have eternal life. And notice verse 17, that Jesus the Christ came into the world to save the world and not to condemn it. Oh, while Jesus was here, he would tell folks, this is incorrect, you need to change those things, this is not what God intended. But his purpose of coming here was to save the world, not to just point out the things that were wrong. Oh, Jesus could have lived a life of seven, eight, nine thousand years pointing out things that were wrong. But that was not his mission. His mission was to fulfill a need of salvation, the one that you and I had. And because of that, we find Jesus as the sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 will tell us that Jesus was that sacrifice made for us. Do you know why that is? By the way, do you know why that is that Jesus is the sacrifice made for us? He said, well, well preacher, I guess if... If, if there should be a sacrifice and, and, and somebody should make it because I'm in the wrong, maybe I should make it. Oh, no. Because if you pass away from this life, living in that state of sin, and you stand before God on that, that day of judgment, what are you going to say? Well, I paid the, the penalty for my, my sin. That's absolutely correct. You did. But you didn't receive atonement for it. Every lamb, every um, pigeon, every bull, every heifer, everything that has been ever offered underneath that Old Testament system of faith, everything that has been offered as sacrifice has been pointing to that cross on the outskirts of Jerusalem. On that hill known as Golgotha. With that man... Hanging there as a sacrifice. And he did that for everyone. Not for everyone in this room. And not for just everyone who is a member of the church. 
But for all of those men and women who live on this earth, who breathe air, He has made that sacrifice for them. He's made the sacrifices of the Old Testament valid as His blood flowed backwards to cleanse those men and women. And 2,000 years plus or minus ahead in time, His blood is still potent and still flows for the, the sacrifice of all mankind. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22 will tell us that blood is absolutely necessary in the washing away of salvation of sin. And also in John chapter 1 and verse 7 through 9 tells us that the, the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us. Or in the King James it will say, cleanseth us. The ETH there holds that same idea of a continual process. If, if you walk in the light, then that blood of Jesus the Christ continually cleanses. Why? Was that sacrifice not made one time? Uh, was that not good enough? Oh, the sacrifice was good enough. The sacrifice made one time was good enough. Let me tell you what the failure happens so many times within God's plan of salvation. Not on God's part. Not on Jesus' part through the sacrifice. Not on the Holy Spirit's part through providing the Word that would tell us how. It falls apart when it gets to man. And man either thinks he knows better, knows differently, knows another way. Oh, no, no, no. The need for salvation is there. The sacrifice for salvation is there. And the instrument you hold within your hand. In Hebrews chapter two, uh, 4 and verse number 12, you'll read this. For the Word of God is sharp and powerful, sharp, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. As a matter of fact, it, it divides, as the verse number 12 will say, uh, apart the soul and spirit just like a butcher would between the joints of an animal. Efficiently. You ever heard a sermon and said, man, that preacher was preaching right to me? She probably wasn't. But that word was hitting you right in the heart, wasn't it? It was dividing the thoughts and the intents of your heart. It was, it was making you look deeper at yourself and saying, I could do a lot better. In James chapter 1 and verse 21, we read about that word as that engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Matter of fact, in the beginning portion of James chapter 1 and verse 21, James will encourage us through the inspiration of God to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness that engrafted word. Not just the word of God. Not just that engrafted word or implanted word that's, that's really a good thing to hear and be a part of, but that engrafted word which is able to save our souls that was revealed to us, Ephesians 3, 1 through 5, by the Holy Ghost Himself, by the Holy Spirit of God. This book, this inspired book that you and I hold, whether it be the 66 books or those, I think there's about 29 in that one because I have Psalms and Proverbs in it. Every word found within those 66 books are inspired or given to us by God. There is no filler anywhere. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a book that would contain the very thoughts and mindset of the Redeemer of the world and the Creator of the world and God has given it to us and said, read this and know who I am and do it. And there we find the instrument that saves us. In John chapter 6 and verse number 13, Jesus says that that Holy Spirit is going to come First to those apostles who were going, or those men who were going to write these books down. They're going to be guided into all truth. And by those things written down that you and I can read, we can be guided into all truth. If we will, we can be guided by, by God Himself. Are you telling me, preacher, God will talk to you? Absolutely, right through this book. And that's the only way. And He will tell us what He expects for us to do in worship. He will tell us what He will expect for us to do with our families, in our lives. And we can be guided into all truth. Notice this. There is a, a, a thing I must do. There, there are some actions that I must take that are essential. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 24, Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. An interesting phrase he says there. Actually, the word he there, if you believe that I am he, that word's in italics in your in your Bible. It means it's, it was supplied by the translators who translated from the Greek into English. Uh, it's supposed to give us a better thought process of what Jesus was saying as if to complete his, his thought. Uh, but let's take it out for a moment. When Jesus would say, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. And you say, well, preacher, that really doesn't make sense. Not until you couple it with Exodus chapter number 5. When Moses asked God, who am I supposed to say sent me? And he said, you tell my children that I am sent you. Understand what Jesus is saying in John chapter 8 verse 24. Unless you believe that I am God. And he is. He's God in the flesh. As he's standing there before them, he's going to prove himself with signs and miracles and wonders, as Paul, as Peter would say in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 22 through 24, as you yourselves know. He will, Peter will go on to say, this Jesus you've taken with, with weakened hands have crucified and slain. <coughs> And while my actions are required, I need you to know that without me, God's plan cannot save me. He's not going to throw it on to me and make sure that I do it. Matter of fact, in, in J, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, he's going to say, For without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. What's he saying there? He's saying without that faith that's going to, to fuel my actions, I'm never going to please God. And He's never going to just make me be His child. He wants an obedient child. He wants a child who is submissive. Matthew 7, verse number 21, my actions will require me to be obedient. Notice what Jesus said in the, in the, the ending portion there of the Sermon on the Mount. There are many saying that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? Have we not? 
But he that heareth the word of the Lord and doeth them. That's where it all comes down, ladies and gentlemen, and brothers and sisters in Christ. It all comes down to me hearing, understanding, and being obedient. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, those apostles there would say, we must obey God rather than men. And obviously, they're speaking of the, the government at that point in time as, as they are um, narrowing down the way that the apostles can speak freely about the salvation given to us by Jesus the Christ. But the fact is the fact. We must obey God. No matter what the ending of that verse says, rather than man, rather than self, rather than society, rather than this, rather than that, rather than anything, we ought to obey God over everything. James chapter 2, verse 17 through verse number 26 You'll see that faith and that obedient faith in action. Suppose a man comes a man and says uh, he is naked and destitute of daily food. And you say to him, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give him not those things that are necessary for the body. What's the profit? As James would say, what's the profit? The answer is it doesn't profit anything. In verse number 24, you'll see that faith without works is dead. In verse number 26, you'll see that faith without works is being dead. Is the fact of the matter is my action is essential and I cannot please God without it. But there's something great to notice. There's a hope in this salvation. If salvation was offered to man through the blood of Jesus the Christ and there was no hope attached to it, that you have it now, but if you ever lose it, you're just out of luck. Boy, there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 24 with me. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 24. Here's what you'll read. For we are saved by hope. Now keep going. But hope that's seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? You, you couple that with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 13. Now by these three faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is love. You see the love in salvation? Can you see the faith in salvation? Can you see the hope? In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, we are told, and in 1 Corinthians 15 and 19, that we are told that our souls are anchored, and that those souls are anchored to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the Redeemer. That He is the one and only Messiah that the Old Testament has told us about, and told us about, and told us about, and that the world has been looking for. And He came and was born. That's a fact. He was born in Bethlehem to a poor couple. They were so poor that they didn't even have enough money to uh, make a proper or a, or a regular sacrifice as they go and register him. They offer two, two turtle doves. He grows and he, he lives a life. 
And you see him pick up the trade of carpentry from his father, Joseph, his earthly father, Joseph. You see him at age 30, begin his mission for God as, as he begins to teach and to preach. You see him live those lives and, and condemn those men and women who, who live those lives that are outside of the bounds of what God would have. You see him forgive sin. You see him heal people. You see him teaching parables. You see him taken, as Peter would say, and with wicked hands, crucified and slain. Those men who, who took him uh, absolutely wanted to, to simply get rid of him because he was upsetting the apple cart, because he was one who was uh, degrading what they would do as a job. He was questioning their authority, and rightly so. And because of jealousy and hatred, the men who took him and put him on that cross fulfilled God's plan. Today and tomorrow, the next couple of days. Most of society in which we live is going to see Jesus in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they're going to say, if it weren't for the baby known as Jesus. This time of year wouldn't be worth it. That this, he is the reason why we're here. Fact of the matter is, you don't see him on that cross, giving everything he has for you. If you don't see them taking down that lifeless body. Giving it to Joseph of Arimathea and him putting it in a new tomb. If you don't see him walking out three days later, this life is not worth living. Not this time of year, this life. The greatest gift God has ever given to man is salvation and is found only in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on that cross for you and for me oh so many years ago. There's a need. Along with the need and a sacrifice 